Good morning, everybody. Uh, it is good to be here with you by video this morning. I'm going to attempt to do something I've wished I could do dozens, if not hundreds of times in my lifetime, especially in my life of ministry. I'm going to attempt to be two places at the same time. I am here with you on video as I am a part of sharing today's message with my wife, Deidre, and I am watching live online as you are there watching this video. And so there it is, two places at the same time. So we'll see how this all works out. Uh, I am grateful for technology. Uh, this week especially, I will have had three Zoom meetings before the week is over from uh, people all over the country. And then this video, uh, part of the message today. So technology is awesome when it works. <laughs> uh, we're drawing to a close on the season of Lent, which means we're coming up to Palm Sunday. Uh, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday and it's a significant time of year for us as Christians because it can often feel like an emotional roller coaster uh, the season of Lent is meant to be thoughtful uh, introspective where we take time and consider our sinfulness and and the fact that part of the reason that Jesus went to his death on the cross was for us because of our sin uh, then we get to Palm Sunday and that's a big celebration it's Jesus' triumphal entry, and uh, we order palms, and we have the kind of the parade in church that remembers that day, and then not too many days later, we get to Good Friday, where we deal with, we acknowledge, we recognize the incredibly brutal reality of the death of Jesus, <clears throat> and then we have Saturday, and we come Sunday morning, and we've got Resurrection Sunday, which is the single greatest day of celebration for us as Christians. That is the big day, even more so than Christmas. And so there is this roller coaster uh, that we have throughout the season of Lent, but especially the last week. And uh, there's always questions that, that come, and the questions are pretty much the same from year to year because they're good and because of the things that we wonder about. Questions like, when I die, how soon do I go to heaven? How soon does my loved one go to heaven? Um, why would a loving God ever have someone go to hell? Why, why would he do that? And then maybe the most frequently asked question this time of year is, why did Jesus have to die? Did God have another way he could accomplish that? All of those are good questions. They're all fair. They're all important. They're all reasonable. Uh, today we're going to talk about the why did Jesus have to die? And the first thing that needs to be said about that is that Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus chose to die. Jesus died as an act of obedience, willing obedience to God's will and God's command. Deidre uh, is going to talk in a little bit. Jesus even asked God if there's another way that the same purpose could be accomplished. He said, if there is, take this cup from me. If there's another way that you can do this, God. And God didn't change the direction. And Jesus ended up at the cross. And so... Jesus willingly went to the cross, willingly died for us. He did not have to. Uh, he could have chosen to have done something else, anything else. But it is an act of obedience, an act of obedience to God, his Father. And Jesus' death on the cross is a reminder of God's great love for us because he gave what was most precious to him, and that was his only son. And so as we begin this, it's important that we understand Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus was willing to die. Jesus chose to die of, out of obedience to God. And so as we get into the message, my hope is that you will put yourself in the place of uh, maybe someone who's hearing about this for the very first time. 
And the real message of the crucifixion of Jesus is that Jesus died to pay the price, to pay the penalty for human sin. And while God is love, God is also a holy God. God is a God that does not tolerate sin. And the Bible tells us time and time again that there is a price to be paid for human sin, for our sin, yours and mine. And that price is death. And when Jesus willingly went to the cross, he paid our price with his death. And so that's, that's really what we have to realize. That's what we have to remember. And so as you're listening to Deidre, who's going to add a lot more to this subject, um, I really hope that you put yourself in the place of someone maybe that hasn't heard it before. Maybe instead of saying, yeah, I've heard it, I understand, I know what this all means, maybe try to put yourself in the position where you're hearing it for the first time with new ears. Because I don't think that there's any way as people we can fully grasp, that we can fully comprehend the magnitude of what God required of Jesus in his death for our sin. And I don't think we can begin to comprehend what Jesus went through to live in unbroken obedience to his Father in heaven. Because the idea of him going to the cross, uh, that most humiliating of deaths, Roman crucifixion, for a crime that he never committed. He was paying a price for something he should never have had to pay, but he did it for you and for me. And we tend to take our sins so lightly because we're not as bad as the person next to us or, or we don't do as much as the guy down the street or we've never killed someone or whatever it might be. The reality is that we all sin. We all sin every day. And as we consider Jesus' death on the cross, we need to understand that that death was for us. Jesus died because I'm a sinner, and Jesus died to pay the price because you're a sinner. And so sit back. Uh, if you're a note taker, there's going to be good notes to take. Uh, Deidre's got a great message prepared. I got to read it a couple of days ago, and so I'm looking forward to hear it. Deidre, take it away. Can't wait to hear what you've got to share with us this morning. Thank you, everybody. Woo! What a difference 12 feet make from the music stand to the pulpit. Wow. I must admit, I was resistant to this new old pulpit when Pastor Steve wanted to put it on the platform. It's huge. But as I stand here, I'm super digging it because it'll keep me upright and you won't see my knees knocking. Let's pray. Good morning, holy God. You alone deserve our honor and praise. Thank you for your sacrificial love. Thank you for your presence in this place and within our worshiping community online. I ask that your Holy Spirit opens our hearts and our minds to your truth. Amen. Today we are looking at the question, why did Jesus have to die? For many of us, one of the most common and memorized scriptures from our time when we were kids is John 3.16. It's the song that we sang earlier this morning. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wow, we say it so casually, but do we allow those words to actually sink in? Do we grasp the magnitude? Spoiler alert. Well, Steve spoiled it first. Jesus didn't have to die. He chose to die for you and me. Remember in Matthew 26, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to being arrested. His soul was grieved even until death when he prayed three separate times saying, My Father, if it is possible, that is consistent with your will, let this cup pass from me. 
yet not as I will, but as you will. He was willing. God has pronounced that the penalty of sin is death and eternal separation from God in a place of judgment. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. We know that God is the Alpha and the Omega. That means the beginning and the end. He is the author and creator of the universe and perfecter of our faith. We also know from Scripture that he is a just and a perfect God. With that in mind, it makes perfect sense. If you or I broke a law that's been established here on earth, we would go to court, and a jury and a judge would proclaim the punishment against that sin or or breaking of the law. If you or I murdered someone and the judge let us go without any penalty at all, no sentence, no consequence, there would be outrage. There would be chaos, riots, and mayhem. If the punishment for sin is death, God is a just God and the penalty must be paid. I know it might be easy to sit back and say, well, I'm a good person. At least I'm not as bad as other people. I've never killed anybody. Guess what? We are still all on the hook. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Either we must believe the entirety of the Bible or dismiss it entirely. What choice do we have? We cannot pick or choose. Use a black sharpie to omit what doesn't feel comfortable to us. Who then would be the authority on the word? Do I black out to cover up the part where my sin is punishable by death and then use the yellow highlighter and keep the part where God loves me and I'm forgiven? Well, I'd keep this verse for sure. Zephaniah 3.17. I love the imagery of our Heavenly Father, and it's my life verse. The Lord your God is with you. He is the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. So which part is right? Which part is true? Friends, it's all true. And if we keep reading the second part of that John 3.16 verse, that not many of us have memorized that part, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If we read on in verse 19, it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Let's take a minute and take a breath on that one. Back to, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm not evil, so I don't need this Jesus guy to save me. We're going to do a little self-reflection together, but I promise that I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. A reminder, when God freed the Israelites from slavery with Moses as their leader, things got a little crazy, chaotic, and corrupt, and the people started to long for the good old days in Egypt. So God spoke and the Ten Commandments were put on stone tablets as the rule book to maintain proper vertical relationship between us and God and rules for his people to have proper and healthy relationships with one another. These can be found in both the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. We're going to list them on slides in short form so that you can take notes and to make sure that we follow each of these every single day. Simple? Some of these are pretty obvious, but let's dig in. 
and just a reminder that breaking one of these is a sin. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. In Matthew 22, Jesus himself said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We are to be devoted, not divided in our attention and love for him alone. But are our hearts divided by small g gods that grab our attention, like ourselves, the universe, the almighty dollar? What about Mother Earth, to name a few? Okay, number two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below. It goes on to say that God is jealous and that you should not worship or bow down to any idols. I trust most of us don't have a golden calf that we have on our shelves that we bow down to. But an idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. By this definition, even good things can become idols. Our identity, what we look like on social media, how many likes do we have on Facebook? Or what about work, our achievements, our skills? What about our pursuit of status and money? Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. God is holy. God's name is holy and, we, and should only be used with reverence and respect. Think about Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. I used to believe as a kid that this only meant that you shouldn't use his name in profanity. But it extends not to using his name, or not using his name in vain, but making promises or oaths or misconstruing his character or attributes. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God created the earth and everything in it over six days. And on the seventh day, he rested and kept that day holy. But how casual are we when we prioritize gathering together and worshiping with, with one another in church for merely an hour a day uh, on Sunday? How often do we use the Sabbath to work on our yard or house projects? Number five, honor your father and your mother. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Guess what, folks? There's no age attached to this commandment. God created and established the structure of family way back with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He gives parents godly authority over children to model and teach respect, submission to authority, and reverence to God. How are we doing so far? Feeling the weight? Number six, you shall not murder. I would venture to say that none of us in this building have committed murder or killing another human being, but I must admit that I have justified killing another. When I was a young mom, I used to say, I would never kill anyone unless they took my child or they hurt my child. Our reasons and our justifications do not supersede God's commandments. In fact, 1 John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates works against his or her brother or sister in Christ is at heart a murderer. 
And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding within him or her. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. I have personally heard people justify why their actions are not technically adultery. But Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman or a man to lust for her has already committed adultery in his or her heart. Today this must extend to looking and lusting after another in a magazine. Wait, do we still have those? On social media, online or on television. It also happens in the mall, in the office, at the restaurant. Do you get the theme here, friends? God is showing us that it's not only our actions that count as sin, but thoughts can be sinful as well. The root of sin is a condition of our heart. Number eight, you shall not steal. We simply have no right to another person's time, income, property, or possessions. We need to take care not to take any of these directly or indirectly. Food for thought. Think about being at work, just shooting the breeze with your friends or coworkers, and running an errand on the clock. This is stealing from your employer. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This means not passing along false rumors and engaging in gossip. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Finally, the tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Well, I know for myself, I don't really want an ox or a donkey, but... Anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting is envy, and envy at its core is love of self and a heart of discontent and entitlement. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you, in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness. Covetousness. It's a hard word to say. Which is idolatry? Coveting is a heart issue. Believe that one, the belief that one inherently is deserving of possessions, people, privileges, power, or is entitlement and the root of being one who covets. It is intent and justification to go to the next level and actually steal what belongs to someone else. And that's the eighth commandment. Lest you believe, so we're done with the commandments, but lest you believe that you only need to consider the commandments to live a life without sin, let's take a look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 in the Amplified Version. These six things the Lord hates, indeed seven, are an abomination to him. A proud look, the spirit that makes one overestimate himself and underestimate others a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies even under oath, and he who sows discord among his brethren. Sowing discord. Hmm, what does that mean? Have you ever been caught up in saying and doing things which cause distrust among each other? 
Or maybe you're the lightning rod of these conversations. Do people seem to come to you with gossip, rumors, complaints, or problems? If they do, it may well be because they know you will listen. These conversations and activities cause conflict, arguments, and divisions in family, church, and our community. Often, discord arises out of pride, agendas, fear, and evil plots. Pastor Steve last week spoke about this as it related to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was faced with opposition and escalating opposition at every turn with people using wicked thoughts, plans, and sowing discord. All this to thwart the work of God. You may say, well, I'm pretty good on six of the ten commandments 75% of the time. Super made up statistic. We may have good intentions, but remember the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. There's a Bible verse that I struggle with. Well, there's a lot of them. But this particular one, it's found in two places, Second Samuel and First Chronicles, and it talks about the specific instructions God gave Moses and his brother Aaron about how to handle the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy of holies. One of the details was that no one could touch the Ark or they would die. If you are not holy, you can't touch what is holy without appropriate preparation. As the camp was moving, they placed the ark on the cart. And one of the oxen stumbled, and a servant, Uzzah, reached out, and he took hold of the ark to prevent it from falling. It says that the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died beside the ark of God. I struggle with that. Uzzah had good intentions, after all. He didn't want the ark to fall, so he reached out his hand and touched the holiest of holies. But he disregarded God's instructions. In that moment, he replaced his reasoning above God's holiness. He knew better than God. Don't we also believe that we're better than God sometimes? Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's come back around to our treatment of Scripture. Either it's all true or none of it's true. God loves you and I beyond our comprehension, but God is holy and the payment for our sin is death. So how can we reconcile that incomprehensible chasm as far as the east is from the west? The answer is Jesus. If left to our own effort and discipline to keep all of God's commands and laws, we are doomed. We're doomed to an eternity separated from our creator in a real place named hell. But God, God with his incomprehensible love, kindness, goodness, and yes, reckless love, illustrated in the Bible with the father welcoming the prodigal son back into his home. Or what about the parable of the lost sheep leaving the 99 to save the one? God made a way. Jesus. Jesus, who came to earth as one of us so that we could see and hear 
and understand how much God loves us and wants to save us. Jesus, who took onto himself every one of our broken commandments, every one of our sins, ones we've committed, ones we are committing, and yes, even sins we have yet to commit. Shoot. We're so good at holding on to our past sins that we keep Jesus on the cross for those as well. He paid our penalty so that we can be reconciled with God in heaven for all eternity. In a few short weeks, we will celebrate Good Friday. It was not good for Jesus. But it is a day that is good for you and, a good, and good for me. It is the acknowledgement that Jesus went to his agonizing death, that death that we fully earned. He bore the collective weight of everyone's sin and shame. He, Jesus, who was one with God, was excruciatingly separated from his father and paid our debt. I don't know about you, but it humbles me to my core that Jesus did not have to die, but rather he chose to die in the place for my sins. I know that my thoughts and actions, past and present, break God's laws and also his heart. There was a time in my life when I was incredibly broken. While I believed in God, my reality said that I was beyond redemption and I lived according to it. But God, God is at work. We've kept that up there since a year and a half ago. And God placed people and arranged circumstances in my path who told me differently. Praise God. One of my favorite worship songs, Graves into Gardens, by Elevation Worship. It speaks biblical truth for you and for me. When they use the word you, it's meant God. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens, and you turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. On that note, no pun, I would invite the worship team to come back up. Check out my boots. Do you see them? Thank you. Um, They're skulls. They're actually skulls and flowers. Some say they're inappropriate for me to wear them at church. I kind of deal with that often. But they are my graves into gardens boots. And a reminder that I was once dead, and now I'm alive in Jesus. I believe that there are individuals here today in person and who are watching online that need to hear this. So listen up. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I would really like to personalize this verse. I want everybody to feel this in their heart. We're going to replace the word with us and use me and I, and then we're going to say it together. Yep, it's up there. But God demonstrates his own love for me in this. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Let's say it again. But God 
demonstrates his own love for me in this. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Lastly, thank you for being um, a gracious congregation with my message. But I do have a last thought, and that is in John 8, Jesus says, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But when we know Jesus as our Savior, he sets us free. Not free to do everything and anything that we want, but to walk in relationship with God and become who he created you to be. I'm a living living testimony of this. If you would have told me 30 years ago that I would be leading worship or giving a message up there, I would have said, you've lost your mind. So this week, I encourage you to be intentional in discovering who it is that God has uniquely purposed you to be.